0: Hello, hello everyone and thank you for tuning in yet again. We're on episode 9 of Thelma and Tom Look Left and I'd like to welcome you to my my co-host Thelma Walker.
1: Hi Tom, good to see you and hear you.
0: Indeed, indeed. Always nice to sit down and do the podcast with you Thelma. It's starting to become something I look forward to every week.
1: Yeah, well, and, well
0: uh, we, we began
1: with just doing four, and we're now on episode nine. So indeed, indeed, <laughs> we must be we must be enjoying it, mustn't
0: yeah, we? Yeah, uh, where's it all going to end, or should we not bother <laughs> going there? Um, I mean, I'd be quite happy to keep going for the time being, anyway. It's uh, certainly uh, very enjoyable, and hopefully, uh, taking taking um, us away from mainstream media and a few other people to go, coming with us. Um, uh, so anyway, this week, what a huge week. I mean, I've got a list of really massive news stories. Uh, we can't cover them all, so I'm just going to br- bring it down to about three, really. I mean, obviously, the huge story this week was the death of Prince Philip. Uh, absolutely massive effect that's had on the nation. And uh, and yesterday, the, the, the death of Shirley Williams. Two, uh, Prince Philip and Shirley Williams, two huge figures from my life. Uh, right through, really, from when I was a kid, almost—perhaps uh, not surely—from when I was a kid, I wasn't so aware of her, but um, just massive. I, and I know, um, well, I'm older than Thelma, and uh, not, not, know, <laughs> not not that much, not that many much. years. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, you're being, um... you're
1: being very kind, Tom.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to tell you how old Elmer is, but I'm really old. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, Prince Philip and, and Shirley Williams, and, and uh, my condolences to the families of both both of those uh, people. And you know, death is hard to deal with. And I know it's part of life. Uh, I was absolutely shocked when my mother died, and uh, and I didn't even really get on with her to be honest. But it it, it just rocked me to the core. And uh, it's uh, it it's just something that you know. A little bit of respect, I think to everyone involved, anyway uh, yeah so that 's that one. Uh, the next big news, of course, which is having a huge effect on the nation, is the, is the gradual easing up of lockdown and I went out this morning for a coffee with my uh, old hippie friend um, it 's turned into a bit of a regular thing on a ch- uh, uh, now and um it, it was very different to last week, where last week we had to buy takeaway coffees and sneak off into the park and find somewhere quiet to sit. This week, people are socialising and calling you over and would you like to join us and all this sort of stuff going on. Um, how, how do you feel about it, Thelma?
1: Uh, mixed feelings, I think. Um, yesterday morning, uh, for the first time, we sat outside a local cafe. Um, and somebody um, asked for our order, uh, which it really seems strange after so many months of that not happening. Just a simple thing that you took for granted in the past. Um, and all the usual Covid precautions were being taken. Um, uh, you know, it was good to see that things are still in place. So, yeah, re- it, that felt really positive, actually. And the sun was shining and. Um, fortunately, as we were sitting outside. Uh, but then, then today on social media, I saw some of the scenes from last night in the centre of London. Um, you know, huge, huge shared tables outside, people packed together. Oh, and the alarm bells were ringing a little bit for me again. Um yeah. You know, so I've, I've mixed feelings that I think something had to happen. I think, especially for the younger generation, it it's just such a been such a terrible time for all of us but I do think for younger people um they're they're being able to socialize um but it's people taking the proper precautions and uh, and thinking about uh, their actions beforehand and where they're meeting and how many they're meeting and keeping that social distance if they can it's all of that um that i think Inevitably, when people perhaps are drinking a lot, um, and I'm not wanting to judge here, but uh, I just, we just do not want another wave um, no. of infections. And and here in Yorkshire, the infection rate is still high. Um, yeah. So I've got mixed feelings about it, actually. Mixed feelings. Yeah,
0: yeah me too. I mean, I can see... It's a real cleft stick to be caught in, isn't it? The human mm. race is really... Mm. in a very difficult situation now uh you know bursting at the seams to get out there and have a bit of life social life Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, you know okay again for for me as an oldie i can get away with it and go in my garden and Mm. i'm well i'm lucky enough to have a garden for a start Mm -hmm. uh there are people in some situations it's diabolical and you can't really blame them for wanting to you know stretch their stand up and find a bit of space um Mm. But, you know, I can see, like coming from a farming background, you know, if you get a virus or an illness in your animals, you just isolate it and, and uh, you know, totally, absolutely until it's sorted, like we did with foot and mouth. Mm. Uh, you know, that was only 12, 13 years ago, I think. Um, you can't really do that with the human race. It's, uh, the human race has got its own free will and its own thoughts, and it's not easy.
1: No, it's not. And and you've got to think about people's uh, mental health and emotional well-being as well as as the physical health. Um, And as I say, you know, many people are struggling or have been struggling. And I think the end of winter, a bit more sunshine, being able to go outside um, and see friends, I'm, I'm sure will be very beneficial for many, many people um, it is just those that just don't take those precautions, those yeah. necessary precautions. That's that's the issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, I, you know, again, just common sense, really, trying to use some common sense uh, where possible. And, you know, easier said than done in, in a lot of cases. But, yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Thelma, on all that. Um, uh, and then, of course, the, the absolutely huge uh, news this week. Um, I mean, probably, I mean, the the... the Newspapers have totally missed out on this one, uh, Thelma. You tried out an electric bike, oh, was that right?
1: <laughs> I didn't know you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have actually, Tom. Uh, it was just a uh, first time. I've not been on a um, on a bike for well, apart from on holiday, for absolutely ages. Um, because I, I went for a, a bicycle a few years ago that was a bit um, form over function. I thought it looked um, really good because it had a basket on the front and it was nice nice colour of green. Um, but it's really, really heavy. Um, and it kind of put me off cycling because um, where we are in Yorkshire at the moment is, is, is really hilly. Re- I mean, we are on a really steep hill, um, halfway up a really steep hill. Um, so it's kind of put me off. Um, and then I heard about this um, th- this local kind of uh, social enterprise uh, group that's that's formed. So you can you can actually hire e-bikes out to try them out um uh, first before you you invest because they're, they're quite expensive if you get one of them. Yeah, how, really how much are they? Oh, how I don't know. I mean, and they can range from I I don't know about five hundred, six hundred to two thousand, three thousand for you know whatever you yeah. want to spend.
0: Wow. Right.
1: D- I don't know yet, Tom. Actually, I right. I'll, I'll keep you updated because it's obviously yeah, big news. Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: fascinated. <laughs> so many um, questions. I mean, <laughs> so, what was it like, Thelma? Well, what did it f-
1: yeah. Well, it was. Um, it was more. The first session was more of a road safety awareness when you're on your bicycle, which um, it was. It was really, really uh, useful, and also it it was good for me in terms of being a driver as well. Um, and making me perhaps a bit more aware than I, I have been um, about cyclists and about, you know, looking before you open your door um, when you're on going onto the road. Um, but, but this was about um, how, how you, if you're signaling on your bike to turn whichever way, uh, how you do that without them wobbling all over. Because I hadn't, I hadn't obviously ridden a bike for ages. Um, but, but I loved it. I really Excellent. loved it. And when it came to the hills, it obviously you get, you, you, I mean, I tried not to use the power uh, too much to get some exercise, but, um, it really does. If you live in a hilly area in particular, um, but, but yeah, y- uh, yesterday was just a, a road safety thing, which I obviously needed and I learned a lot. Um, and then what we intend to do is, um, hire for a fortnight so we can, Try it every day, uh, different terrain and, and different areas in the locality, and um, see whether we really get on with it. And then I think we we may invest in, in in one each. So um, will so, it
0: will it get you up the hill to your house, or how steep a hill can it? How steep a hill can it go up?
1: Um. Well, anything you you know in this, you're not going to get much steeper hills than where we live, um, in in the Cone Valley. So, um, hopefully, it'll it'll get us up there onto the Pennine Way as well, which is just close by. Right. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so it it, it it depends how much you invest on how far right. it will take it. I think it's a bit like the cars, you know, the the yeah. electric vehicles. Um, but I need to find out a lot more about that yeah. side of it first, yeah. but. But the main thing is I, I enjoyed it. And, yeah, uh, fantastic. Uh, I'm oh.
0: definitely going to see how you get on. I, I, they have these um, uh, companies on Dartmoor where uh, you can hire these electric bikes and cycle around Dartmoor with them. And you get all these kind of well, – I, I don't want to keep going on about old people, but these are the people <laughs> that are using these bikes – and they're yeah. whizzing along on these bikes, yeah. and you're thinking, "Crikey, you're good at cycling!" And then you realise, <laughs> and they're going up these hills, and you think, thinking, flipping yeah. heck!" And then yeah. you realise they're on electric bikes, and they're all just <laughs> really relaxed. They're not puffing or anything, not putting any effort in. <laughs>
1: uh, oh well, I, I want to get the balance really of getting the exercise, but then, as I say, when it comes to these really steep hills, that it'll give me a, a, a bit of power um, yeah. and and make me look perhaps a bit more energetic than I really am.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a great idea because it really puts, you know, when you live in a hilly area, it just puts you off straight away, doesn't it? Because it, it's yeah. it's just not practical to use a bike. Um, uh, no,
1: but I, I mean, the thing is as well, we do need to, to look at the infrastructure and the road network and uh, cycle paths and, um, you know, when you look at, Scandinavian countries and, uh, and how they're set up for, for people cycling and uh, and even bike storage and where you put your bike when you arrive somewhere and all of those things, uh, which we're much better at in, in our country. But I think we, we could improve on that too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're definitely going to keep in touch with that uh, story, uh, <laughs> a huge story that uh, Thelma uh, <laughs> uh, tried out an electric bike, and uh we'll we'll keep you informed of how that goes uh yeah anyway uh we take a short break now and we're working welcome back with our guest in a couple of minutes okay thank you Here we are again, so welcome back to part two of our podcast. And I'm really, really thrilled to tell you our guest this week is Kate Hudson, the General Secretary of CND. And I'm just before I pass over to Thelma, I'm just going to say CND has been around in my life pretty much ever since I can first remember anything. I was seven when CND was. Uh, formed. And uh, I don't know how, but I was pretty much always aware of it. And I think it might be because my dad, he used to take the, the News Chronicle, and he was in the Liberal Party. And he was a passionate, passionately into politics, as he still is, he's 98 now, and he's still passionately into politics. And, um, and I think he must have said something about it I don't know but I knew all about it and I've got a couple of stories later about how it's had effect on my life here and there but anyway uh, I'll introduce you to Thelma now uh, Kate and uh, yeah lovely to have you with us.
1: Thanks for inviting me Tom it's great to be with you. Hi, Kate. Um, I feel as if we know each other, even though we've only met over Zoom meetings over the past year. Um, but it's it's great to see you again. And uh, I was ju- I was just looking at your bio uh, in terms of a writer, academic, stop the war coalition, European Left Party. Uh, 2013, founder of Left Unity. It goes on and on. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm almost exhausted reading it. Well, I'm Never exhausted. Mind. Them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, just amazing, amazing. Um, and well, do do you find time to relax and and switch off? What 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 do you do? Uh, you know, other than working and being engaged with different campaigns, do do you have a a release, an escape, uh, an opportunity to switch off? I think
2: I've become quite good at trying to set aside bits of time for other things. I mean you could ask my partner and he might disagree with that and say why is she always working? But in fact I mean there are other things I love doing and funnily enough being in lockdowns meant that I have actually been able to do a bit more of those. So, for example, gardening, um, which I've always loved. I haven't had that much time over the past few years and until the lockdown. You know, over the last year, you'll be pleased to know that I've got some pots with little seedlings coming up. You know, I've got some spinach, got some tomatoes and so on. So that's that's a real joy. And I've actually spent more time. Um, out in the garden I hope my colleagues from work aren't listening (laughs) but during the day I've been you know in my lunch break of course I've been out in the garden we've got lucky to have a little pond so go and check out the frog spawn and see how that's doing we spotted a fox this morning lying on the lawn so that I mean everyone talks about nature during the lockdown that's been like a real godsend really having having those spaces and that kind of outdoor thing. Then um, I like, well, I don't know whether I like exercise, but we <laughs> find time for exercise. So we uh, always go out for a walk every day. Um, I'd sometimes do like online gym things, you know, to try mm. and do a bit of
1: stretching. and. I've just been know. talking with Tom about trialling an e-bike uh, for the oh, first yes. time yesterday, and oh, uh, you, yeah, did you do that? Yeah, we we we. I had a practice yesterday, and um, and we're going to rent first for a couple of hire it for a couple of weeks just to see whether we get on with it. But it's just we walk. We're the same. We walk every yeah. day. But even walking, and even when we're lucky enough to live somewhere beautiful. Sometimes that you like a choice of different forms of exercise, don't you? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And
2: funnily enough, at the weekend, we went to a different little local park and we found they had outdoor table tennis tables. And we Ah. love table tennis. So yesterday, (laughs) even though it was quite windy and the ball was blowing all over the place, (laughs) we were there with our table tennis rackets having a go. They're just doing something different, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it
1: is. And I, I don't know about you, but when I'm walking... Um, with my husband, we'll tend to talk um, if, if you're in front of a television or you're both mm-hmm. in different zoom meetings, you don't have that conversation the same. I don't know what it is with us. I don't know whether you're the same, but whilst we're walking, mm-hmm. we talk about uh, different things more openly but uh, well I'm, I'm glad to hear that you you are really human and) uh... oh,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 What's it was some
0: doubt, Thelma?
1: <laughs> when well, I, well, I was looking at this bio, I thought, when, when on earth does Kate actually... Well, it
2: has uh, so been Tom... spread over quite a lot of years, Thelma.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I suppose I'm thinking when I get, you get to our age, you'd have done quite a bit <laughs> but yeah, certainly yeah, no, of certainly <laughs> your it's inevitable, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I know Tom is absolutely dying to ask you more about CND, so I'm going to hand over to Tom now.
0: Yeah, Thanks, yeah. OK. Um, so, Kate... Brilliant. I can't believe I've got a chance to talk to someone that knows a lot about this subject. I've had so many thoughts during my life about this. Uh, um, I've got quite a few questions, so uh, we'll, we'll just try and rattle through them best we can. I want to start really very recently. Um, you know, obviously, the government recently, out of nowhere, it seemed, well, I believe there was some kind of a review, but I, their reviews are, you know, are they worth the paper they've written on? But um, they announced they're going to get 40 extra nuclear warheads. Now, my question straight away to that is, what's that going to change? Why are they doing that? And and, um, I mean, I know that's a huge question, but you hopefully can throw some light on that.
2: Mm. Well, actually, it's worse than you're saying, Tom, because it's not 40 new warheads it's 40% increase in the arsenal so that's like over 60 more you know so wow. i mean it's just it's just it's just a complete craziness and as you say it was completely unexpected even though we've been waiting for this new so-called integrated review that was going to look at defence foreign policy development and all that been waiting for that for over a year now No one, literally no one, thought that it was going to include this arsenal increase because, in fact, the nuclear arsenal has been declining very gradually since the end of the Cold War. And there was nothing to suggest that was going to be reversed. So this was like totally out of the blue. What it changes... Um, is not only of course complete waste of money and all that sort of thing you know and nurses not nukes is like the big slogan for us now I mean when you think about the spending priorities we need you know it's just a disaster but actually it's really going to have and is having a big impact internationally Um, because Uh, like Russia and the United States, Presidents Biden and Putin. One of the first things they did when when Biden came into office was renew a treaty, which is a bilateral reductions treaty. So they're actually reducing their nuclear warheads. There's Britain suddenly out on a limb, you know, starting a new nuclear arms race. And it's not just CND who describes it like that. Other people around the world, like states people, all that sort of thing, they either say it's illegal, you know, the UN Secretary General basically said it's illegal to increase the arsenal, and other people too. So it's like ratcheting up global tensions, and and Russia said, well, you know, this is a destabilising thing when we start to look at our fa- figures and, you know, maybe we'll have to reconsider, you know, and take this into account. So it's like Britain unilaterally reversing the trend away from nuclear weapons and um, deciding to increase its arsenal. So, I mean, what on earth is Boris Johnson thinking of really?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it was, uh, I was, I was really surprised. I, I was shocked actually. I just thought, what, what's the logic? I mean, I, I mean, this is, I don't want to make this podcast too scary, but when we were growing up, it was, we lived under the, sh- we lived under the shadow of of this uh, right from the very beginning. And I, I just, uh, in, for for people that are, you know, younger than us, say, uh, when I was 12 in 1962, I remember being in the playground and uh, it, the morning break and we were, talking amongst ourselves, just 12-year-old kids. And it was the day that um, President Kennedy had put the blockade around Cuba to stop the the Russian convoy coming into Cuba with some weapons. And I don't know whether it had got blown out of all proportion or not, but the there was this thing going around that if the Russian boats don't stop, that's going to start the nuclear war. And that, I don't know if that was true or not, but as a 12-year-old kid, it was plausible. And we were there, like... Thinking uh, And what time is it going to be? Oh, about one o'clock. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And my friend said to me, well, at least we'll be able to have our lunch. And I thought, well, that sums it up, really, doesn't it? You know, it's absolutely terrifying. And there's no logic whatsoever to this, that why would anybody involve themselves in a war that's basically going to kill them as well, uh, kill everything? And you, just, the logic is just absolutely bonkers and we still have people doing it um and so i I just i mean we can't live our life under that shadow of fear which is eventually the conclusion that you 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 come to isn't it in your life where you go well i've got to live a life even though and i mean i know now the kids these days have got i say the kids that's a bit disrespectful the young people these days have got the same thing going on with global warming That I'm sure they feel the same about that as we did about the nuclear bomb. Mm. Um, You know, how do you kind of keep your life in perspective with. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, the other thing is, Tom, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned climate change because it's not just a kind of, you know, generational thing where we were all upset about that and now they're upset about this you were absolutely right to be really concerned during the Cuban Missile Crisis. It really was that close, you know, and as a 12-year-old, you obviously picked up on what was going on in the world really strongly, you know, but that same thing could happen again you know, there's enough nuclear weapons to destroy the whole world, humanity, many times over. But of course, now, it's not just that threat, which is an existential threat. It's also climate crisis, which is an existential threat. And increasingly, campaigners are linking the two things together. You know, we we face both of these existential threats, and, and both of them have to be dealt with. And while there's a situation that, Well, there are climate change deniers out there, you know, fortunately no longer in the White House, you know, but there's a great recognition that it's a problem that everyone has to address. With nuclear weapons, there's still this small number of countries that doesn't accept that it's a problem, you know, like Britain, like the US, like Russia and some others, and they seem to think that they need to have these nuclear weapons, you know, even though they could destroy everybody else and themselves, you know, and, and it's just has a devastating uh, cost financially, you know, so that that that's the real problem, Tom, you know, we have to address both of these issues, we have to see how they're linked, because of course, uh, nuclear has a big carbon footprint as well, you know, as does the arms trade. And I suppose one of the things that c and over the last years, you know, It's been that we've tried to get away from it being seen as this is about nuclear weapons, you know, as a separate thing and understand how it's part of the whole set of problems that we face, you know, across society, you know, to do with wrong priorities Many people say it's to do with capitalism and, you know, pro- other priorities around like Boris Johnson, for example. He's talking about global Britain. Is that Britain punching above its his its weight? You know, like Tony Blair used to say, you know, is it about looking big and powerful on the world stage? Yeah. You know, all those things have to be challenged. And mm. funnily enough, you know, although this is a problem that could destroy the world, there's only nine countries that actually have nuclear weapons. None of the others have them, and most of them actually want to get rid of nuclear weapons. It's not just a campaigning thing from people like C&D in that. You know, there are um, actually at the United Nations earlier this year, they introduced a new treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons, you know, and states around the world are signing up to it. You know, it's like we are the rogue states, you know, the nuclear yeah. weapon states. And the rest of the world wants to get rid of them because they know they would be destroyed. I mean, all yeah. pretty much all the global south is self-organised into nuclear weapons-free zones, you know, so they're actually doing it, you know, and but we are the problem, you know, Britain and the other nuclear states.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a, I, I, a few weeks ago, I was going to talk to Thelma about this and we ran out of time, but there's 180 countries without nuclear weapons and mm. nine mm. with Approximately. And uh, I I often think, uh, you know, the idea is that it's supposed to make us feel safer, um, uh, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. But you just think, well, how do these other 180 countries, are they sleeping in their bed at night worrying uh, because they haven't got nuclear weapons? I think it's the other way round. I think, you know, I I don't know. Let's talk about the logic of how nuclear weapons can make you feel safer. Uh, What are they protecting us against, for example? I mean, I know I'm asking you to (laughs) argue the other side's case there. That's only because I can't think of what the case is.
2: Well, once you explore it, there isn't isn't really a case, to be honest. I mean, one of the things that governments have, have said over the years, and in fact, I think that when the government was introducing the integrated review last month, they used this same kind of cliché, and they call it the ultimate insurance policy. I mean, I've heard that many times. And But when you think about that, an insurance policy is there to kind of bail you out or give you payback once the worst thing has happened, OK? It doesn't stop the worst thing happening, you know. so So it's a kind of completely wrong description. You know, after nuclear war has happened... You know, there can be no insurance. There's no kind of way back after that. So it's, so it's a kind of it's a complete misnomer. And actually, when um, well, over the last 15 or so years, you may be aware that in Parliament, I mean, Thelma will be aware of this in particular in Parliament on two occasions. There have been big debates and votes about whether or not to replace The current nuclear weapons system, I mean, this is without the kind of arsenal increase, whether or not Trident, the nuclear weapons system should be replaced. And so there have been, you know, quite in, in depth, more in depth discussions around this. And in 2006, the first debate and vote was taken under Tony Blair's leadership. Um, and it was decided, yes, they would start the process, you know, they would do R&D and that, you know, all that kind of thing sort of wouldn't cut the metal yet. But they would get going on the kind of design stage of, of the replacement of the system. And in his at the time, Blair was kind of seemed to be gung ho about it. And then um, when his autobiography came out subsequently, there was a whole section about this. And in it, he said, well, um, I looked at. Both sides of the case, you know, for and against, because it was obvious that, you know, there was no nuclear threat to us or anything like that. He said, but in the end, I came down and with the view that we had to replace Dryden because not to do so would be too great a downgrading of our status as a nation. Okay, so he wasn't even saying it was a military thing or a security thing. He was saying it was about status, you know, and I've heard conservative, senior conservative figures say that very same thing. And I've heard um, some, you know, retired generals and field marshals are also on the record saying it's militarily useless and it Mm -hmm. should be scrapped. It is a status thing, you know, and and that's not an acceptable reason to have uh, weapons of mass destruction, to spend our resources on it, to play that role in the world—you know—it's it, just—it's just not acceptable, and, and it has—it has to stop. And and actually, it just—they just make us a target. Nuclear yeah. weapons are not targeted on little islands with no no nuclear weapons. They're targeted on other nuclear states, and that's I, I've why we should be, be
1: frightened? I've mentioned before, Kate, that we seem to have lost any moral compass with regard to mm. our foreign policy. One of the things, just coming in, Tom, sorry, because I know you've probably got other no, questions. No, you're okay. OK. You're OK. Um, but one of the interesting things for me when it comes to a general election and you've got the opposition leaders or when we have the leadership um, uh, campaigns going on, that the often the key question they're asked by um, MSN is would you put would you press the nuclear button, mm. and it, it always comes up at every election, and it came up for the different candidates for the leadership of, of the uh, Labour Party. Um, what what's what's going on there, Kate? why why, why is that? What they, what they're trying to do with that? I
2: really don't know. I mean, it's it's become... I mean, I think somebody, it might have been Nicola Sturgeon or some, you know, obviously, because in Scotland, they're uh, overwhelmingly against nuclear weapons, you know, described it as like... It's like a virility test. You know, yeah. you have to yeah. be willing to say that you're happy to blow everything up and yeah. destroy everything. Yeah. You know, in actual yeah. fact, that would be illegal under international law mm. to do that. But they do oh. persist with that kind of questioning, and I it's think it's almost they, like
1: a chest thumping thing, isn't it? You know, it's kind yeah, of yeah,
2: you no, know. It, no, it's it's completely bizarre. But then there's in in my opinion, in the political sphere. You know amongst some significant parties there is a notion that you have to be really tough on defense to win votes and that you know backing the nuclear weapon system they always call it the so-called deterrent it's actually nuclear weapons um that's the way to win votes you know and um, unfortunately labor has labored under this illusion for quite a long time and unfortunately um, Labour has is, is still got the kind of pro nuclear weapons position. But if you look at opinion polls, right, um, like over the last decade or more, but I'll tell you about the most recent one, which we had done, commissioned in January by Cervation. Um, and it was when the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons had come into force at the UN. So we had a poll on this, and there were two questions. One is, um, Basically, would do you support the global abolition of nuclear weapons. The overwhelming majority of people across every demographic, whether whatever age, where they lived, how they'd voted in the last two elections, what party they voted for, how they voted on Brexit, overwhelming majority in favour of the global abolition of nuclear weapons. And then the second question was: Do you think the government should sign up to support this nuclear ban treaty? it was still a majority across every single category. You know, so it's like somewhere there's a disconnect between politicians at the top or whatever thinking one set of things and trying to make how everyone subscribes to that and actually what ordinary people think. You know, and that's the same over so many things, as I'm sure you both know. You know, across so many sectors. Government just doesn't do justice to what ordinary people want.
0: Yeah. I, 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 um, when that announcement came out the other week about the, uh, the 40% increase in warheads, mm. I, I'm not kidding you, my initial thought was, has Boris Johnson got some connection to the people that are making these things? Because that can only be, you know, the, there is no other reason apart from the establishment somewhere making some money out of it, which is clearly, I mean, I know that runs a lot of the defence industry decisions, it's economic uh, uh, and political rather than sensibly strategic or whatever. Um, uh, but um, yeah, I, it's, it's just one of those absolutely ridiculous things that's going on in the world, isn't it? I mean, it's not the only one, but um, so, like you say, the majority of people can see right through it, but no one can do anything about it.
2: Mm. Well... I mean, I would never say no one can do anything yeah. about it. I walked right it, you know. into that, didn't I? <laughs> because there's plenty
0: of... I mean, there are plenty Tom, of MPs, Tom, you're actually. To, you're yeah. to
1: a, a lead campaigner
0: here, Tom. What, what <laughs> a gaff! What a gaff! Yeah, that's bad, Tom. Very naughty. I mean, it's not
2: only there are MPs I, and not, political parties that. that are against... <laughs> but there's the people yeah. out there. I've just told you the overwhelming majority are against nukes, Tom. You can't think we're impotent, we, you know, <laughs> mobilising and stuff. Of, on which note, I'm just going to throw in that my husband and I went on our first proper demo for over a year. Um, weekend before last, we went on the, the Kill the Bill demo. And Excellent. You know, in, in defence of protest. And it was just absolutely fantastic people overwhelmingly young people really diverse mm. it's amazing and everything that's been great pretty much everything great that's been achieved it's been achieved through public protest At you mm. know and governments have always said oh no sorry you can't have the vote you can't have this you can't have that and then we've won it
1: mm. yeah that's yeah. true that is so true Kate um, and we do need politicians to speak up as well um, yeah more of them yeah some still do but
0: more of them yes some still do definitely so uh, okay one more thing i want to ask you about kate uh it's been great really great um i know I, i mean i kind of kept half an eye on the news throughout my life i've never really been uh active in politics but i've always it's always fascinated me how the establishment runs the country and i know pretty much for a fact and i'm sure you you can back me up on this maybe not that throughout the 80s and probably before mi5 have seen cnd as a threat to the establishment and have monitored various people along the way and even infiltrated cnd uh and you know um all sorts of stuff that you just think oh that that could only happen on the telly uh as has happened uh and and uh it rem- it reminds me a little bit. Well, it's it's shocking, but it's not as shocking as what the establishment did over the last four or five years to utterly destroy uh, the the chance of a, a left wing uh, um, administration. I I just wondered, do you think I am um, a conspiracy theorist for saying things like that, Kate?
2: No, I mean just initially with regard to C and D. Um, it is well documented and known in archives and reports and all that sort of thing that uh, CND on many occasions throughout its existence, if not the whole time, but obviously, you know, more intense moments, has been uh, subject to surveillance and, you know, having people put in there and all that kind of thing. As well as, I mean, that's from the security services side and police and so on. But then, of course, also um, we know that, Uh, there were, you know, very serious attempts, politically open political attempts to discredit CND in the 1980s. Um, And then, of course, um, attack by association, the Labour Party leadership at that time, Michael Foote, of course, who was a founder of CND, you know, so that's, that's well documented. And, um, you know, fast forward to, you know, the last, what is it, six years since we were fortunate enough to see CND's Vice President Jeremy Corbyn elected to the leadership of the Labour Party and the, the hope that that inspired and the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who came into the Labour Party because they... They thought it, you know, could now stand for something new, could stand for change and a transformation of society in the interests of everybody. I mean, you know it, you've lived it, you know, particularly Thelma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but that's what people hoped for. And um, it was expressed, although it didn't, um, you know, quite get there in terms of what we would have liked in C&D, you know, it was a different kind of approach to the world as well. So, um yeah, and what did we see? We saw once it appeared, once it became clear in particular, that Corbyn's policies were popular after the 2017 general election and the great popularity of the manifesto there, you know, and people coming round to understanding what the project was about. You know, then after that complete overdrive by the, the right wing, the establishment, seemingly everybody to discredit somebody who's probably the most decent and sincere person I've ever had the fortune to work with you know i mean just deeply shocking just really shocking
1: so that's a a good moment for me to come in there kate if that's all right tom yeah Um, absolutely
0: that was a lovely tribute there yeah Kate, thank you
1: and you know you know i would echo that kate um yeah, but just link to that, Kate, you'll be aware that um, over the past few months I've been working with um, different left political parties and campaign groups, um, engaging with them, uh, and and my hope is that we can in the future uh, not forget uh, that, that vision and those progressive policies that were in mm. the 2017-19 manifesto. And... My hope and vision is that we can bring um, a coalition together um, on the left. Um, what are your thoughts about that and how we could possibly get well this growing movement because it it is at the moment because I believe there's a political vacuum and I do believe there's an opportunity for the left to come together um, in a coalition. Uh, what are your thoughts on that
2: mm. I think, Thelma, that that has to be the way forward, because I haven't been in the Labour Party for like over twenty years. I was in it briefly, and then I left in two thousand and one when um, Blair started bombing Afghanistan. You know, I didn't think it was consistent <laughs> with being in CND, um, but um, people have seen. I think you know with. Corbyn, the Corbyn leadership, and all that kind of thing—they've seen what kind of politics they want. They've seen it very clearly articulated. And now, um, the way, unfortunately, the, the current Labour leadership has gone, that—that's been just completely wiped out. Not in—not in the—not in, the, in you know in society, but it's been pretty much eradicated in the Labour Party. And those policies are in the process of being destroyed. And it makes one weep almost you know, to see um, the kind of things that Starmer is saying and doing. But that that desire for change, you know, that is still very live in society and there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who still want that politics and they still want that change and they want that vision, you know. And so the question is, now you say there's a vacuum. Yes, people are there and they, and they want some... I think people want something new, you know, and... Some of us are in uh, other organisations. You mentioned earlier on that I'm in Left Unity, which is a kind of British uh, part of the European Left Party, which is a radical left party, quite big and broad across Europe. You know, um, we we always supported Corbyn. You know, critical friends wanted him to be elected and all that sort of thing. Um, he's no longer um, in that position. But we would be absolutely delighted to work together um, with other people with that same vision of a transformation of society, you know, and we have to um, get out of our little bubbles, you know, and start working together. And I think pretty much we must all want to do that, you know, and it's a question of... um, just being open to doing that and Thelma if I can just pay tribute to your approach I think it's fantastic you know you you just show a a real confidence in people's capacity to have trust and respect for each other you know and to rebuild and bring things together and I think that well I'm right there with you wanting that to happen you know absolutely
1: It means a lot to me to have your uh, support with that, Kate. And uh, I I do actually believe it's possible. And I would also say um, the pandemic, for for all, you know, it's exposed um, inequality, race, gender, uh, poverty, all of those things that have been exposed through the pandemic. Also, on a more positive uh no we we've learned a lot from the pandemic and i think people's awareness has been raised about this inequality um and about issues of a, a race as i say and gender um that that's why i feel now is the time i don't know what your mm-hmm. thoughts on that that this has brought about this almost watershed moment mm-hmm. um where the the country is crying out for progressive policies and and that change that is so needed that that was actually doable in two thousand and seventeen, but even mm. more so now, and even more progressive and more radical uh, policies and change are needed. Um, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. That the pandemic, ironically, is 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 going to be the catalyst, if you like, for, mm. for for this change.
2: I think it very certainly can be. Um... I remember earlier on in the first lockdown, there was a slogan, um, no going back, you know, no going back to how things were mm. before. And I mean, and that was particularly um, poignant, you know, when within the first lockdown, you saw how homeless people were taken off the streets yeah. and housed and, and mm. you could see what was possible. And in just in C&D mm. terms, um people who had been making nuclear weapons and other forms of weaponry were taken off that and they were put on to making ventilators, PPE. Yeah, and absolutely. And you could see the potential for transforming society, not like just in the abstract, but concrete mm. stuff about what we produce, you know, what we value mm. in society, the kind of what we will pay for, you know, mm. where our money
1: Absol- should go. Great, you know. great point. Great point. I mean, it's the same, I think, about the way furlough has been implemented when when people dismiss UBI um, mm. and, and maybe trialling UBI um, I, I, that if you can do furlough that's a safety net and in mm. the same way for people UBI uh, would be um, I think yeah really really interesting yeah. yeah I mean just
2: I mean one of the things that it, it strikes me you know one of the after Thatcher, you know, the kind of drive to discredit socialist ideas which, you know, Blair and other people in the Labour Party sort of new Labour at that time bought into, you know, that that you kind of just trashed all that sort of thing and everything had to be down to the market. And I, I thought over many years what we need is to kind of restore the understanding of the value of um, like the, the role of the state. You know and like and the role of planning you know and like for a long time it's like a, it's a dirty word you don't want the state involved but then in dealing with this massive public health crisis over the last year what have we had but the introduction of planning you know like mm. planning for rolling out the vaccine planning for testing mm. all that kind of stuff mm. and we've had massive state intervention in terms of supporting mm. businesses and individuals and you know the nhs mm. so it's like it's been shown to be what you absolutely need mm. you know and it shouldn't be what you resort to just when there's a crisis it should be playing mm. that really positive constructive role in the interest of everybody all the time
1: yeah yeah it's true it's expose what can be done and that mm. a different world is possible i mm. think you know that's what we take the hope i take from mm. from such an awful year yeah Tom, have you, have you got any uh, last questions? Uh, I'm
0: just going to say one last thing because we we're probably mm-hmm. running out of time here a bit. But we had a I love we have loads of nice messages from people that listen to the mm-hmm. podcast, and I uh, I did mean to sort out a few to read out because you know I love telling myself how everybody thinks I'm wonderful. <laughs> um,
2: they do, they do. <laughs> of
0: course, thank Tom. You, of course. Thank you very much, Kate. <laughs> what did you say? Could you repeat that? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> one one uh lady uh listened to the podcast and she put a message up saying that uh you know it, it, she she comes away from the, listening to the podcast with dual emotions of despair in a way at how bad things were but some hope there as well and 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 i read it to my wife and she said well you want to Step up the hope and cut back a bit on the despair. So <laughs> I and I meant to say that to Thelma. Let's kind of you know ramp it up a bit. That everything's going to be wonderful. And it can, can be
2: wonderful It will be. It can be. It
1: can be.
0: Yeah. So I'm really pleased that this podcast has been so positive because I, I've got to be honest with you, Kate and Thelma. I was a little bit worried that you know CND and the nuclear bomb, quite heavy topics. Um, but it's come out all really good, I think. I mean, obviously we'll find out when we listen to it, but I think it's been a really wonderful podcast and uh, it's been great to have you with us, Kate, and uh, really enjoyed your input and uh, hopefully you'll come back and do another session with us sometime soon.
2: It's, um, been, it's been really great and I, it's such a marvellous initiative from you both. I know people really enjoy it and it means a lot, so, you know, all strength to you both with it going <laughs> oh, forward. Thank you, <laughs> Thank Kate. you so much
0: thank so, you so uh, so thank you everybody for listening to the podcast and uh, and thank you to our guest Kate Hudson it's been wonderful to have you with us and thank you to my co-host Thelma as always I've thoroughly enjoyed your company uh, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast please uh, remember to um, you know tick the box and say you'd like it to come automatically to you and please also tell your friends the more people that listen to the left media, the less time they spend on listening to the mainstream media and that's what we want. We want you to hear what's really going on not what they want you to think is going on so I'll pass you over to Thelma to say her goodbyes
1: yeah thanks Tom and thanks Kate for joining us uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation today and I'll leave you with the words of Albert Einstein the world is a dangerous place to live not because of the people who are evil but because of the people who don't do anything about it solidarity